What's up, everyone? This is Just Two Guys Talking, Episode 5. And if you're just tuning in, the premise of this entire podcast is we do not care about our names, our backgrounds, and the only thing that we want you to listen to is the ideas that we bring to the table. So now, let's talk about the topic. Today's topic is the devil we know, the devil you know. It is a marvelous thing to think about. We all have those devils that we wrestle with and that we wrangle with. And I also want to say, guy number two in this podcast, me being guy number two, had a lot of anxiety. It's the devil that I know personally. And you get to witness how I interact with one of the devils that I work alongside. So... Everyone, I really appreciate you being here. And lastly, I want to apologize for all the the sensor beeps. So don't worry when you hear them. We're okay. Everyone's fine. We're just keeping our anonymity close to our chest. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Just Two Guys Talking. Welcome back. This is our fifth episode. Today's topic is going to be the devil you know. But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind everyone, and if you're just now listening to us for the first time, the premise of behind Just Two Guys Talking is that our names are not important, our backgrounds are not important, just the ideas that we're bringing to the table is what is important so prepare yourself get ready to listen and uh i have a guy number one over here guy number one where are you tuning in from currently i am uh on a plane if you can believe that i'm flying in i didn't know that i was going to be so behind for our podcast so actually decided to buy some wi-fi i hope it works up here um you know southwest people do do what you do choose your seat Nice. Uh, yeah, the Wi-Fi sounds pretty clear on my end. There's, there's like no one on planes these days, dude. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. Just kick back, relax, and uh, let everyone listen in on it's this not, podcast. It's, it's not first class, if anyone's wondering. It's not first class. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, right on. Uh, I, I'm tuning in right now from uh, from Idaho, from this uh, little resort up in Idaho. So, uh, are, you in Sun- are you in Sunbeam, Idaho? You know, I'm just right outside of Sunbeam. No shit, dude. That's a tiny little town. I got taken there when I was a kid, and uh, that—that's like a beautiful secret in the United States that no one knows about. Sunbeam, Idaho, doing a promo right now, <laughs> where literally thirteen people live there. Like year, I think there was a sign that said literally thirteen people live there year round. Like because like only so many people can handle the winter there. Oh wow! But it's up on like I think it's called the Salmon River. Gorgeous, just fucking beautiful kayak, canoe, rough waters that so you can go in and get salmon. I imagine. Man, and uh super intense did not know all this oh dude it's gorgeous it's gorgeous um i want to say it's like not far from is it boise boise yeah i think that's it i think so but the devil you know oh boy what a topic when we were, when we were like troubleshooting this like what we want to talk about today i've been discussing with a lot of people in my life who have been like kind of discussing the same problems that they've had for like decades like it's just absurd to me how blind we are to our blind spots and you know the fact that we can even have a certain level of insight about something but 
you know, you can throw up a million and a half reasons not to like make a move on something just because you're so comfortable in your pain. Definitely. Yeah. I've been seeing, I, I too have been seeing uh, a lot of uh, folks around me just kind of kick the ball over and over and, and they're in, and then they end up asking me like, why, why do I keep doing this? And, and I, I've just been saying it's just because uh, more people are comfortable with the devil they know. It's, it's we, we don't want to jump into the unknown. Um, but uh, guy number one, tell, tell me a little bit more about uh, this pattern. How, how does it kind of sneak its way into our lives? And how do we become familiar with this devil? Yeah, uh, I've been wanting to blame it on COVID. This is a pre-existing condition for a lot of people. COVID, in fact, I think has been really good for a lot of people working from home and having time to actually self-reflect and spend some time alone and, you know, you know kind of talk to their inner demons a little bit more. Um, but how, where does this phenomenon come from? How does it work? I think it's insidious. I think over a you know, span of time, you start falling into it like, a, like an unexpected pattern. You and I have talked about um, functional delusions before, and I and so the you know, functional delusion to me is is that thing that you think has a has a positive function in your life, but actually is delusional in that it actually has a it has a lot of negative byproducts. Um, so an example of that would be like, okay, let's say you smoke cigarettes, right? You want to mm-hmm. you want to party? You wants to quit smoking cigarettes, but you say. Um, yeah, but cigarettes honestly improve my mood and it helps me to have better relationships with my family. Every time I smoke a cigarette, it puts me in a better mood and I'm no longer in, in negative uh, interactions with people. That could be true. What's probably true, though, is actually it's really hard to get off cigarettes. And be, the reason why you think it improves your mood is because when you're in a bad mood, you smoke a cigarette, which improves your mood. And then, of course, you're not jonesing for a cigarette, so you're less irritable. So, of course, you have better interactions with people. But you don't want to parse it out that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's little things like that. We, we make, we make all sorts of, uh, rationalities after the fact I've mentioned Jonathan height, uh, hate on the here. And I think you have as well, you know, part of one of his books, the righteous mind, one of the interesting things they show about moral dilemmas is that people have an emotional response and then follow it up with a bunch of rationalizations afterwards. Jonathan hate being a social psychologist, and this is, uh, well-documented. And I think that's what a lot of us are doing. We have these things in our life that are detriments to us, but because they make us feel a certain way, we ra- like a good way, we rationalize, or maybe just not as bad a way as they could or things could, we rationalize keeping them around. And that's a really unfortunate consequence of wanting uh, kind of to engage in comfort behaviors. Like something negative can be a weighted blanket just as much as something positive, it turns out. Oh, definitely. I dig that. Sounds like... Um that the, you know, falling into this pattern is kind of starts out as like a habit, like a small little habit. Yeah. You know, I was just writing up this morning. I wrote up a list of things. You know, I'm going to read the list. Let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, go for it. I was writing a list of things. I said, uh, ways human beings try to escape their conscious experience. And I put substances like weed, pills, marijuana is double, weed, pills, uh, let's say, let's say, Cigarettes, video games, TV, movies, theater, time with friends, reading books, apps, dating, games, social media, daydreaming, pornography, sex, exercise, music, and other compulsive patterns like internal shame, judgment, and attempts to control. Now, what I went on to write was that 
these behaviors are neither good nor bad, but w when used in direct opposition to one's experience result in psychic back backlash and an increase of negative emotions. Distractions are a form of repression and also can act as a form of avoidance. So my, my thought when I was going through this, and you could, you, some of these don't sound inherently bad, right? Time with friends, reading books, just you know, daydreaming, sex doesn't sound that bad, exercise, music, theater doesn't sound that bad. But when you get down to it, it's are you engaging in these behaviors because they make you feel good, right? If you're trying to feel, if you're trying to feel good, are you trying to feel good because you're also trying not to feel bad? Mm. Uh, I like that list. That 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 is a a uh, a wealthy list right there of ways. Definitely, a lot of humans and animals uh, utilize to escape their current reality. Sure, and we we we're, we're hedonic beings. We like to go after uh, something that gives us flavor. We really we we want that. It takes us out of our current state and changes our physiology, which is nice. The problem is, uh, as far as I can tell. If we engage in these things and we do it, as you said, habitually or religiously, what we end up having is, is a dependency. Some of these things are on the list were addictive. I mean, uh, you can argue about weed all you want. Weed does have a psychological and a physiological addictive nature. Uh, so do certain, certain well, most chemicals. Um, and so, uh, so do cigarettes. You know, they have a physiological and psychological addictive nature. Mm-hmm. You can say the, the same for all the other things on the list too, though, to the degree that they release dopamine. Mm. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so definitely. It, it, so, you know, I've known people, we've, you've probably known people. Did you ever know someone who was the, you know, the party person who like just went out every single night or every weekend? That was like what they craved all week. That's what they looked forward to. They were kind of lackadaisical with their work. They really didn't have super close family ties. Sometimes they do. But like really, the thing they looked forward to at the end of the week was going out with their friends. Sometimes it was drinking with their friends. Sometimes it wasn't. But it, let's just say it was just with their friends. Have you ever known yeah. someone like that? Totally. Yeah, I actually do. And I have a, a few people in my mind right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that person. And you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. They're going out with their friends. But they're going out with their friends probably because the thing that they're being lackadaisical with, their work, makes them miserable. Mm. So it's like they're, they're just trying to get that escape and they habitualize this pattern and it becomes uh, so close and near and dear that eventually uh, they get to this point where they're running up against a wall and they're just trying to get out. And, there's, and, and they realize, hey, I see a negative pattern here. But I feel like a lot of people, when they get to that wall, like, you know, let's say, you know, I am that party person and I, and I realize, oh man, this is really taking a toll on my body and my mind and my life and everyone around me. And I've, I just hit this wall and I realize it and I see it, but it's so hard to, to, I guess, like navigate through that. Uh, let's talk about, uh, like that wall. Why are people so susceptible to just giving in and continuing the the pattern rather than which would be seems which would be like the most obvious thing I would you know see in the situation you know I have certain patterns I, I do as well that you know would be considered the devil I know and and I know them rather well um, so when we run up against this wall, why is it that we try to 
I guess, dupe ourselves. We try to push the blame every which way, but we don't reflect it back on us. Mm. That's a good question. I think that comes down to the individual in a big way. What's their relationship with individual responsibility is a big question for me. Um, you know, um, it's often said that millennials are handed things, and I, I don't necessarily agree with that grand sweeping generalization. I don't agree with any generalization, but I do think that millennials have been part of a, a well, I'm not just talking about millennials here, of course, but let's just pinpoint millennials for a second, yeah. because there's a, a lot more activity, apps and, and technology and things like that, that kind of draw us in um, these days. So I, I, wor- I worry about millennials a lot, and I think what keeps them, you were, you were asking what keeps them from stopping, right? What keeps yeah. them from seeing it? I, uh, I don't know if it's that they necessarily don't see it. I think, they're, I think it, it can be deeply physiological. Uh, you know, we know that the structure of the brain alters. Um, that's the prevailing wisdom right now. As you engage in things you find pleasurable, the circuitry that leads you to the pleasurable outcome uh, strengthens. Uh, and... You know, I hate to just throw that out there and be like, it's physiological, go, like, you know, fuck yeah, around, it's yeah. fine, because that's not it at all. Because you can also uh, atrophy that circuitry if you are, are disciplined and resilient in your resolve to do so. But, you know, I think part of it is right now, we, we, don't, we don't really sell the narrative of individual responsibility, which is usually given a conservative tone. And I don't really understand why that has to be the case or why that seems to be the case. Uh, there's nothing wrong with taking on individual responsibility and being the master of your world. That doesn't mean you do it alone. Mm-hmm. That means that you get you you decide to get help. That you decide to get assistance. Like getting a personal trainer is taking personal responsibility for your health. You know, getting you know uh, going to rehab is getting personal responsibility for your addictive habits. Uh, telling your family you need help is taking personal responsibility for your your social world, your internal world. Right and, on. I, uh, sorry yeah. to cut you off, but uh, no. Sounds like uh, in order to mitigate this, they need to, a lot of people need to at least start implementing, uh, what would I call this? Uh, There was a book, 100% Ownership, Extreme Ownership, written by Jocko Mm -hmm. Willink. Really great Mm -hmm. book. Um, Trying to think. Sorry, I had a brain fart, man. (laughs) No, but Uh, Jocko talks about it. So does David Goggins. I remember David Goggins talking about it quite a bit, saying, you know, this radical openness that you have to have with yourself. Like, I I fucking hate that thing. Now, now, Goggins self-attacks, and he doesn't see it as self-attacking necessarily. I think I think I would struggle with his method. Goggins' method is Goggins' method. You know, like that works for David. Um, But I understand what he's saying that you got to get real with yourself. And it sounds mm-hmm. like Jocko, just on that title alone, you said a hundred percent. Extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. Yeah. And I remember seeing his Ted talk, Jocko, where he talked about, you know, uh, where there was fratricide on the battlefield and some, his men were killing his own men. And yes. uh, he owned up to, you know, the fact that he was the leader of, of that platoon, that squad. And that if, anything went wrong, the fact that things went wrong, that it was going to be on his shoulders. And as the story goes, all his men stood up one by one, very hallmarky, um, but very real that they stood up one by one and, and took ownership for their own fuck ups on the battlefield that led to the fratricide. And um, is that what he talks about in that book? Yeah. Yeah. He talks about that amongst other things. Um, and I, I would say that the, the whole lesson is in the title is it's extreme ownership. And 
extreme ownership, uh, I, I believe, just solves uh, a lot of issues that happen in the now that uh, mm-hmm. can circumvent the future from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, well, one of the easiest ways to explain this is like, for example, you know, I, you know, going to work and something happens. It wasn't entirely my fault, but it was because of something that I had said. So I influenced the matter. I saw that someone else was struggling with the the whole weight of the blame being placed on them because, mm-hmm. you know, again, this is a nuanced issue. They start scrambling to try and push the blame elsewhere because they panicked. And instead, you know, I understand, I understood where I stood, but I also understood that we needed a leader in that one moment. And so I took 100% ownership of that problem. Um, and by doing that, we were able to continue working on the issue and move forward. And it mm. sounds like when uh, we can habitualize extreme ownership, then when we come up against the, you know, the devil that we know, these patterns, these habitual things that just keep us, you know, bogging us down, keep us from uh, doing exactly what we need to be doing in life. It sounds like this could be one of the antidotes to defeating the devil that we know. And yeah, well, what do you think? Yeah, you know, the, the, the image that came to mind was, uh, you know, the Greek mythological story of, of Atlas, where he has the world on his back. And um, I think, I can't remember what the, the entire grand narrative behind why he ends up with like carrying this giant stone. Um, but essentially it came, it, he's, he's holding the stone. I, I think he was like picked at by vultures for eternity because he wouldn't like give up some secret to Zeus. Oh, man. And, you know, he took on the weight of that responsibility of like, you know, my, my values and those things I hold dear are, are bigger than me. And maybe, maybe that's a good shift into saying, how do we, how do we get away from the devil we know? How do yeah. we, how do we start to shift away and, and to bear the load? You know, uh, the Bible says we're beasts of burden. Um, maybe that's not so far off. You know, you think about Jesus carrying the cross kind of uh, kind of symbolism and, and the, the imagery of that is a very is a very much individual responsibility kind of moment. He takes on the the weight for reality for human being as, uh, you know, the sins of human being. That's what that's yeah. supposed to represent. Right. He's, he's putting us on his back and he he's literally he dies for us. Um but in the end of the, the narrative, and if you think about it sim- symbolically, don't think of it as Christianity. Don't think of it as religion. Think about it symbolically. He's reborn based upon taking on the weight of the load. And, you know, he's, he transcends himself. He, he transcends his human bonds. He goes to heaven. So, you know, I think when it comes to the devil, you know, um, it's easier. It's easier to stay in the muck and the mire than to trudge on through. It Definitely. really is easier to trudge on. It's really easier. It's easier than trudging on through. Um, and I think that the reason why people get stuck, to get back to your question, um, comes down to, I think we like to distract ourselves with many of those things that came up on that list. Yeah, I think I think we do it daily, habitually uh, distract ourselves, and we're not consciously trying to. I think our brain tries to optimize our experience to an extent, mm. and so it's you know it's constantly if if you're constantly in misery at one level of your psyche, 
your brain's going to look for ways out of that misery and it's going to identify those things that it thinks are pleasurable because they're the antithesis to your experience. And Definitely. It's going to say, hey man, you haven't looked at social media in a while. Maybe you should take a look. You're feeling bored. We don't like boredom. Take a look. Right. Yeah. Take a peek. Let's get that dopamine rush real quick. Let's get, let's get that dopamine rush. You know, let's, let's feel, let's feel a little bit of contentment maybe some serotonin in there as well. Right. Yeah. You know? But bust open that phone and then you, you, it's like your brain's just like, you know what? That post wasn't good. Let's just keep looking, you know, then you're looking for this, sure. like this diamond in the rough until it can quench its, its thirst. Absolutely. It seems innocuous at first. I, I, I often call people on the phone. Um, I call you a lot, but like, I also got into this habit of calling everyone when like I felt a negative emotion and, uh, I would call them and I just want to chat. I just want to chat. I'm bored, especially during coronavirus. Yes, much, yeah. You know, I didn't have as much, I had no outlets it seemed. And I was playing video games when this all first started thinking it was going to blow over in a couple of weeks Didn't blow over in a couple of weeks. Video games lost their luster, started making phone calls. So sure. making phone calls to people and they're kind of bumming me out too. Cause they're having a hard time too. Right. I'm like going, you know, over time I realized I said, I'm calling people to satiate myself, like, like a baby wanting to, to return to, to breastfeeding almost You're like looking this to find a way to satiate yourself and feel content and warm. And it's like, but when you, when you realize you can't find that from other factors, like, what are you going to do? You're going to keep going to those things. No, your body's, your brain's probably going to raise the ante probably going to escalate and say we need to find something else that fulfills us but if you recognize that that's the pattern going on then you can start to engage in some constructive uh things for me if you remember i started doing that prison fit thing yeah yeah and i started doing you know daily i was doing 300 it doesn't sound like much but 300 reps of body work uh movements on certain uh muscle groups um for you know three different muscle groups every single day and that was a great, that was great for a month. Um, it was, you know, I was strenuous. It was tiring. I didn't take a day off. I was really, really diligent. And, um, but by the end of that 30 days, I was burned out and my brain started looking for something else to change my experience. Sounds and, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. Sounds like, uh, I like how Muji uh, put this and so many other, you know, uh, gurus, spiritual people, so many other people have said this. You know who well. Muji is? Go on YouTube, look him up. M O M O O J I. Yeah, he's awesome. I absolutely love him. He's a sweet soul. Uh, I like how he says that the mind is a a poor master, but a great servant. And mm -hmm. and it seems like that when we're continuously searching for these things to occupy us, that we're allowing the mind to be the master, rather than allowing it to serve the body and the mind together uh, or consciousness and the mind. I mean, consciousness and the body, let the mind serve consciousness and the body. And, mm -hmm. and it, and on that same note, talking about how, okay, you're not, if you don't appease the mind, it's going to raise the ante. Like mm -hmm. I got to, I'm going to come clean right now. I'm going to say it uh, right now. I told you right before the podcast, like, Hey, I'm having a little bit of a health anxiety and, just a few seconds ago, a few minutes ago, man, it kicked up even higher. Mm -hmm. And th this is live. This is live right now. We're, we're doing a podcast and I'm having this anxiety. This is, this is my devil. This is the devil that I know and I know it really well. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, like the mind is going to raise the ante so much. It's, it's trying to convince me that if I don't get off this podcast if i don't stop and i and i go do what it wants to do 
then I, I might, you know, something bad might happen. And what's whatever, it asking you to do? It's asking me to, to, uh, hone in and refocus, not hone in, just focus on my health anxiety, focus on the health things. Like it's telling me, yo dude, call your doctor. Let's, uh, let's get that dopamine rush by being able to pick up the phone and call, call my doctor. It's uh, you'd, it's would you, you'd feel comforted by that, right? It, exactly. It's kind of a compulsive. It's it. So like, you know, I want to make a distinction. If you're dealing with something like obsessive compulsive disorder, if you're dealing with OCD and you deal with compulsions on the daily and, and as, as guy number two is describing, this is a compulsion. This is, this is an intrusive thought yep. saying, Hey man, we're anxious about our health. Let's, uh, let's go and, and see our doctor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, exactly it. And, and when you're dealing with something like that, um, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it's telling you to go do this thing to make you feel better. On the other hand, that's how rituals uh, stack on each other. Exactly. Like, that's that's really part of it. It's like you'll 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 call your doctor. Let's say if you have OCD and you if you have if you have uh, obsessive compulsive uh, thoughts about your health, you'll call your doctor. But eventually, calling your doctor won't be enough. And so it's it's wonderful that you're denying this this impulse without knowing if there's a reason to actually call your doctor. Definitely. Yeah, that, that's it. And uh, just like you said, I'm just trying to habitualize this thing and get that dopamine rush in and, I, and I'm actively avoiding it. And just so the listener knows, the things that I'm doing right now to, to navigate can continuously move forward rather than allow my anxiety to, to take hold and say, hey, I'm master. Um, mm -hmm. because I just don't have time for that. And a lot of other people who do have anxiety, uh, can agree with that. Like I, you just don't have time for anxiety, but anxiety makes time and it forces you to reconcile. So the things that I'm doing right now is like, even, even though we're in the middle of a podcast, it, it this is a beautiful topic to be talking about, <laughs> especially to have anxiety in the middle of it. Um, is one, I, you know, I'm breathing. I, I just tuned into my breath. The second thing is anxiety for me is usually because I'm thinking about the future. Well, my anxiety stems from health. Well, it's about, am I going to be healthy in the future? And, and I have this absurd, crazy fear of healing over at almost any minute. And a large part of that, this is my deep dive into that one moment is that I need to have a purpose. I need to be fulfilling my purpose continuously. So with that in mind, okay, anxiety is about the future. I need to, you know, continuously fulfill my purpose. And by having this podcast, I am, I am fulfilling my purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I'm navigating in my mind, I'm listening to you and I'm trying to sidestep over and over and over the mind. And what I do, the biggest thing, this is like what really is the antidote for me. And that is, be hundred percent now. This is a beautiful moment. I, mm -hmm. I get to have this podcast, get to have this conversation with you and that's it. There is no future. There is no past, you know? And what I like to say is if you're worried about the future, bring it here, bring it mm -hmm. to you right in front of you. You can't because there is no future. There's only a collective moment that is continuously building upon itself. And, and one skill I heard you use there was you were bringing gratitude over fear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely a part of the, uh, the alchemy of, of honing in on that anxiety is he, I started being appreciative of everything 
instead of being allowing my mind to tell you, Hey, you're, you're actually fearful. You know, you need to be mm-hmm. afraid of these things. Um, and just to kind of further this little conversation, it's like, you know, this is, this is definitely a, a pattern that I have had in my life. And I had many habits around it to mitigate it, you know, one from smoking uh, weed, and then that turned into, you know, more higher doses of weed to mm-hmm. uh, absurd dabs to uh, smoking spliffs every day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was avoiding a lot of my anxiety by it bringing in this other drug. And I'm not saying marijuana is bad. It really has helped me in, in other ways. But as of recent, I've cut back down so tremendously that, you know, now now all this uh, anxiety it just revels in front of me. It just withers. I just let it wither in front of me because this little demon, this little devil is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. And I love that. I've been able to navigate my days with way more clarity and more, you know, being present. Um, The other thing I know, I just said that like, we don't, you know, where's the future? Where is it? Well, this is the contradiction and this is the beauty of being human and this is the beauty of uh, wrestling with duality. Um, the thing that really gets me through the anxiety uh, when it's at its worst is when I think about future. What do I need for him to be thankful for the present? What can I do now that future will be like, man, Pat really knocked it out of the park. I'm so thankful that he did that because I know he didn't want to do it. I know I didn't want to do it. But he took the time, he sat down, and he honed in so incredibly hard. Like, and so just like, he, he gathered all his energy and put it into this one moment. And that one, yeah, exactly. Well, the present, the present. Is, uh, did it for the future. So present gathers all this energy and does it for the future. Does it for future me. It's almost so, like... Okay. It's almost like yeah, yeah. the way the best way I can explain this is like, let's say you get home from a late night with the you know with your people, you know you had a few drinks in you, you got dropped off, and you walk in the door. Well, you're kind of tipsy, you know. A lot a lot of people probably don't do this, but I do this. I, I grab my wallet, I grab my keys, I grab everything that is on my person, and I set it in a secure location, and then I mm-hmm. say, you know, then I'm like, is going to thank me, and every single no, we're time saying, we're saying we're saying your name over and over. Oh my goodness, dude! Realized. Yeah, we have to bleep that out. We're gonna Future have so guys. many bleeps. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, fuck, dude. So many bleeps. We apologize for the listener. There's gonna be a lot of bleeps, and there has been a lot of bleeps. <laughs> That's so funny. It happens. I got in it, dude. I was in it, but I feel a lot better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so you're 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 using a, a skill I've heard you describe as time piercing before, and when you're so it's interesting. You're you're combining future guy too, and soon to be present guy too. So he's also future guy too, at the same time. It's like what is what does present guy too have to do to become the ideal future guy too? And what I what I hear in that is when you're saying I'm gathering, you know, present present guy is is gathering the energy. Yeah. What I'm hearing there is you saying. I'm drumming up to be who I need to be now to be who I want to be later. Yeah. Is that, is that accurate? Definitely. Yeah. Cause I want to align myself. That seems very helpful. And, um, 
you know, a lot of the time what we do is we look at, I think a lot of us look at our past patterns consciously or unconsciously and say, we've never been able to do this before. So it's not going to work out now. What you're saying is I know what I want it to be. So here's what I have to do in order for that to look that way. Yeah. And I, I've heard of that as, you know, I, I've heard of that as, as like future projecting and I, you know, there are other, other ways of looking at it. You can even, you can even call it future parts work. Um, like, you know, you can, you can break that however you want, but Definitely. at the end, at the end of the day, you are writing the narrative of how you will experience things, um, versus how you have experienced things up until the present moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and I There's do a want stop gap between the two. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like that you said that, uh, uh, accumulating all this energy to tell it how it will go, how it will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently, uh, I was watching this show, uh, maybe some of the listeners have heard it, uh, or watched it, but have you seen Hannibal on Netflix? You know, I've never watched Hannibal. You know, I, I, I kind of avoided it mainly just because it's just a glorification of gore and well, my partner was watching it and uh, I just picked up where they left off in season Mm -hmm. two and I just kept watching it and I really liked the way it was filmed. But one of the things that really caught my attention was if you want something to be born out of sorrow, you must tell it in a story. I believe that is how they said it. And I started thinking about that because we, uh, you and I have spoken about in a, previous podcast about the story we tell ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that telling of a story, it it is a telling of a story. How, why, why would they say, you know, you can birth sorrow through a story? And I was like, well, then you can birth anything. So why don't you just tell yourself the future story of what's going to happen? Because the way I see life is the universe is, predetermined and up for you to make at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think it's up for you to make if you tell the story, but you need to tell the story. You need to mm-hmm. either write it out or tell yourself, whisper the story into existence. And I feel like nine times out of 10, it's going to happen. And it may, mm-hmm. and it that, just may not happen mm-hmm. right away. though. That sounds to me like individual responsibility and in that you're not taking on the victim narrative that you could take on from your past. Oh man, I have been, I have been overridden by this, this, this impulse to do this thing for so long. Um, you know, it's, it's just got power over me. It's just got power over me. And, and instead of taking on, uh, you know, I always say that when you would cha- yeah, I think you've heard me say this, you know, if you want to change who you are, go inside your mind. Imagine you're going to a store where it's all the different possible use. And it's just like a skin suit you could toss on. You yeah, know? It's just like, yeah. It's just, it's just a you you can ha- inhabit. And there are, there's evidence that, that if somebody um, pretends to be a persona long enough without telling anybody, so they don't even let themselves know that they're playing a game by not telling anybody, it becomes a fake until you make it mentality you make it real and that person's personality actually can probably alter. I don't know if there's any evidence of true altering, but they do change. They do have a different experience. And so they have a different view of themselves. And so their future experiences change uh, as a byproduct. That's wonderful. So what it says to us is that if you're writing up the story of how you're, you want your life to look, you're just going full method. Like you're just like going, this is what it's going to be. All mm, right. Take yeah, it or yeah. leave it. 
this is what it's going to be. I'm going to like get on the typewriter of my brain and write up the next couple chapters as opposed to reading, going back and reading bits of, of, of the, of the text that has already transpired and using that to infer what I'm going to write next. I'm going to take what I know about the now, the character now yeah, and, and extrapolate on who he could be. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I like that. And I also want to touch on what you just said. It's like when you keep going back into the past, it's like you get all this doubt, doubt lives in the past. You start becoming a little bit more fearful. Fear lives in the past. Um, And I just can't stand it when people turn their brain off to the possibility, the possibility that it can happen, the possibility that you can write your own story and then live it. Mm -hmm. Uh, because if, if you, if you're listening right now and you're telling yourself a story, what, what's, what's making you tell that story? Why are you living the story that you live in? Especially if the story is bad and some of us go go for it, go for it. I was going to say, that's where it gets complicated. Um, because some people get fixated on, on the, um, the progenitor, uh, the 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 big bang moment that they're, all their problems started. So they want to go back into their narrative history and figure out where mom fucked them up, dad fucked them up, sister fucked them up, best friend fucked them up, or where they just like didn't make the right decision or something horrible happened. Like they want to go back and they want to find uh, find its origins because if you can find our origins, you can trace it forward from there and fix any breaks along the way in like, uh, let's just say it's a temporal timeline. And, um, you know, to a degree... I think that's helpful. I also think it can be just as rewarding and powerful to just understand what it is your mind is saying about you when you're doing something. Yeah. Um, which, which is different than finding its origin. And it is different. Um, it may see, seem similar, but the difference is you're not trying to trace down the culprit. You're trying to understand what the thought is saying about you or what you're doing is saying about you. So this is very cognitive behavioral therapy, which it's very practical because anyone can really utilize this and, and self-educate anything in the psychodynamic psychoanalytic realm goes deep it goes very deep and it can it can take a long time um so it just depends on what kind of work you want to do and what you're open to but if you look at cbt let's say um you know you you can say okay like let's let's say let's, what's a good example if okay this is a simple one we all know that person who keeps re, re, uh, returning to the wrong significant other yeah. Right. We all know that person. We, we, I've been that person. I'm sure you've been that oh, person. Definitely. We, just, we just keep returning in and just like, ugh, why are we doing this? Well, why are you doing this? Do you think that you aren't deserving of love? Like true love, real love. And you identify this thing isn't like good for you. It's not, it's not fulfilling all your needs, but like you're afraid to leave this person because you're like, Oh, I love them. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. That may be true, but you're th- that's a functional delusion in and of itself. It's like you love them but you can add a, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love them, but I've broke also broken off things where I've known someone who wasn't good for me. I like them a lot, but you know, they're not good for me. Yeah. But when you're not, when you don't get to that point, you don't make that decision. You're, you're working, you're operating from a place of fear. Um, you know, and you're operating from a place of, of, you know, you're saying something about yourself. If I leave this person, I'll be alone forever. If that's a thought you have, you need to tackle that. If I stop smoking cigarettes, I won't have good interactions with people anymore and they might leave me and I'll be alone. That might be the fear you're having about not ha- quitting cigarettes. And you just don't un- know that unconsciously you're having that concern. 
Yeah. You just think I have better interactions when I smoke cigarettes. Yeah. But you got to check out the shadow side. What's the opposite say? The opposite says, so I won't stop smoking cigarettes because if I do, what's the consequence? What's the fear future consequences you were saying? Because if I do stop smoking cigarettes, then I will be irritable. People won't like me. I won't yep. like myself. I'll be alone. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I can like, see that. You got to understand what it is that what you're doing is saying about you. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like the, when we're battling these devils that they like to manifest themselves as something that they are not. Innocuous. So we, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we target that thing. We, right. we, you know, we start mitigating that thing and then it's like, Oh, it's still there. It's like, Oh, right. You, you never got rid of me. You never found the actual problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, you know, let's just take health anxiety because you took, you know, you brought it up. I, I've known a lot of people with health anxiety. I've had health anxiety. And if you trace it back to its origins about what it's trying to say about you, if I don't get my health in check, if I don't control this situation, I won't be able to handle the ramifications. And you're saying I won't be able to handle, handle the ramifications. Okay. I am not self-efficient. I'm not effective. Also, I don't believe in myself in this moment. Maybe you're just dealing with a lot of stress currently and it's pressurizing you and you need to take a look at your stressors and, and, and fix some things in your context or your internal experience changes, uh, in kind. Definitely. No, I feel that. And just to clarify, I don't think I'm too stressed at all. I think my life is, I'm not, I'm not throwing it on you. I'm not throwing it on you, but I'm saying there's, there's different ways that that, yeah, yeah, that could manifest. And I've known people who like were dealing with stressful experiences and dealing with a bunch of health anxiety. I've also known people who, um, have it habitually and it, it manifests when they're feeling maybe a little listless or maybe one of their needs isn't being met and it doesn't necessarily have to say anything about you. Um, but make sure when you when you do realize what your need is that you you need met, like let's say you do need socialization, that you just don't go balls to the walls wild and go and go out every fucking night or every yeah. other night or something like that. Like do 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 what you need in moderation so it doesn't become your drug because deprivation is definitely a precursor to turning anything into a drug. Nope. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And one of the things um, that like these, uh, you know, the devil we know, especially with when it comes to health anxiety, things that, uh, the thing that the mind, the, the mind is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I said this in a previous podcast, um, you know, just imagine if you close your eyes, like a wooden table in front of you and a lemon and that lemon it, right next to that lemon is a knife. And you're going to pick up that knife. You're going to cut it, that lemon in half and then half again. Then you're going to place one of those wedges in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, like that whole that little exercise, like it makes your mouth water. And, and basically what I'm saying is that your mind is so powerful that when you do have these anxieties, you are telling yourself a story and that story can become psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially when the mind thinks up something and then the body responds and conjure, conjures it, it, it up. Um, right. I, I faced that uh, many a times, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, uh, I, I can't even think of all of them, how many times I've done that to myself. Um, one of them I would definitely say is, uh, is, is allergies, you know, mm. allergies is, is a big one. I don't think that, uh, like, for example, like I've stopped taking my allergy medicine. I've been off of it for a long time now. And a part of it was just, I, I think it was just my brain 
kind of giving in to this little narrative saying that, hey, you're allergic to all these things instead of instead telling myself, hey, you know, from my mind's perspective, hey, you know what? I understand that I may be a little sneezy from dust, but I'm going to prepare the body to mm -hmm. uh, overcome it. And a lot of times it does. So it's mm -hmm. psychosomatic. Shit, so, shit's real. Psychosomatic experiences uh, definitely are real. I, I, um, I've known many people with them. Um, you know, the devil you know scenario is a very interesting one. Um, when I was in school, there was a professor that everybody hated when they took them. And it was just this, this guy was asking way too much of people. They're being crushed. They have a, I think they had to write like 40 essays or something. Stupid, oh, shit. Um, before the end of the semester so that they could choose three to turn in. Oh. And these weren't small essays. These were like three-page, four-page essays. I mean, that's not small. That's a paper. That's not, that's not an essay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my, I, I had a friend who was just lamenting it and hating him. Really, really visceral hate towards him because she was uncomfortable. Then when the class was over and I was considering taking that same class that was only taught by him, she said, yeah, do it. You can handle it. And I was like, what do you mean? Didn't you have such a horrible experience? She goes, yeah, but looking back, it's, uh, you know, it's not that bad. I go, you were crying every night. What do you mean it wasn't that bad? And, and my friend was like, yeah, well, looking back, I mean, now that I succeeded, it's not that big of a deal. And there, therein lies the rub. When you're no longer in a state of discomfort, it seems that you will color your survival, th that you survive that experience as making it less of a monster than it was when you were experiencing it. You know, mm, so, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't hate to harp on cigarettes. I'll harp on the cigarettes. Let's just say, because it's, it's an easy example. Anyone can understand the cigarettes are, are, are pretty damn addicting. Let's just say that, um, you know, Let's just say you wanted to quit cigarettes. You, you thought they were the thing that you couldn't get over, that they have a control over your life. And let's just say that your your life got a little less stressful, so you didn't smoke as much. And you think to yourself, that weird thought that we all think when it comes to substances, which maybe it was more under my control and it was actually, now here's where your stupid brain gets involved, where it's maybe it was actually my decision to smoke that much. Maybe it was more in my control. I like how much I'm smoking, but that's, that's fine. I'll, right. keep I'll keep smoking how much I'm smoking, but not as much as I was. And then when things get stressful again, you start smoking heavily again. You're looking for that oral fixation, that dopaminergic hit. And you never even like sat to think for a second that, wait, things are a little uh, cushier now, a little easier for me now. Maybe this is the time that I should use a less stressful time to, to remove this substance that I've said has a control over my life from my life. These things hold on. They cling on by leaving like pieces of themselves on you, like shrapnel, you Definitely. know? Um, and unless you're willing to take that risky surgery of removing that shrapnel kind of Tony Stark style away from your heart, yep. um, you're never going to get to move on from it. It's going to always come back to pulling you back in you know, that's where I think that's where a lot of the bad relationship stuff comes from. You get an abusive relationship and, and, you know, you know, that person abuses you in some way, maybe emotionally, maybe, maybe physically. And, you know, you, you let tempers calm down, you come back and they're being all sweet again. You go, Oh, it wasn't that bad. And it's like, okay, it's because you're trying to scratch an itch and fulfill the need of having that loving uh, companionship in the moment, but you're completely forgetting and negating the negative byproduct that is physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, spiritual abuse. 
And it's, it's a confusing little merry-go-round you're on because you've forgotten. You, you forgot how bad it was to a degree. You kind of stuffed it back like repression. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there was more to that list I said earlier. Um, I said what humans should make time to do uh, in the face of challenging experiences is sit for five minutes in silence while negative emotions lower, then make discernments, not decisions. This quiets our impulsive reactive mind. Then set a schedule to handle what can be handled. You may summon energy from any activity on this list that I mentioned earlier, but you must set limits or you will never act. Never rely on one or of the activities above more than uh, twice in a row in order to get moving or in order to recover. This limits their addictive and sedative qualities. The key here is to never become overly reliant on any soothing behavior. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. And I think that's part of the devil, you know, problem is that you start to put all your eggs into these like specific baskets. And you say, these are my investment points. These are the things that make me feel like life's worth living and that I feel okay. But they also come with them a negative cost as all things do. Definitely. It sounds like, uh, like one, I got to say that little recipe that you just, uh, you know, spoke for the listeners. That was really awesome. That, that's, I appreciate that's, that. uh, that's a kick-ass little recipe. Uh, the other thing I also want to point out, it's starting to sound like the more we talk about the devil, you know, it sounds like a lot of these problems, issues, whatever you want to call them, habits, habitual things that you do, they're coping mechanisms in response to an environmental issue. Would you agree? Yes, actually, there's a great book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari that I've been, I've been perusing through very slowly. I'm a slow reader if anyone uh, is wondering. Um, (laughs) I, I do audio tape way better. I think most people do. It keeps my attention in a much, it's, it's less, less active, but um, yeah, what, what he was, he's a journalist who was dealing with severe depression. He was going around the world for, for years interviewing uh, uh, researchers on addiction and on, on substance use. And he was, he was basically handed Prozac his whole life and told he had a fucked up chemical uh, chemical mix up in his brain and that it wasn't his fault. And therefore he should lean on these drugs and the drugs eventually of course did not help him even going up to the maximum dosage. And he found it's called lost connection spoiler that there's some lost connection points in our own personal um, ecosystems. And what he, what he found in, in some countries was that countries that that prided giving people back a sense of community and tribe and filling that need that void uh oftentimes had less recidivism in criminal uh, criminality and they also had less recidivism in drug use which would also fall under the the category of criminality to the degree that a drug is criminalized mm-hmm. um and i i really do think that um it's a it's a big part of of the issue is that if you're not addressing those things that are bothering you, you're constantly going to look for, your brain's going to say, okay, he's not doing this. Mm-hmm. What else can I do to make these emotions go away? Cause they're not optimizing my ability to process. And it's not like the brain thinks these in words, it feels it out. It, it chem- you know, it chemically feels this out and it goes, okay, well, what have I identified as, as, you know, a reptilian brain that looks for the goal and the source of good, you know, the source, the source of uh, sustenance. And it's, it says, okay, well, I've, I've noticed that eating makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Maybe what I'll go and do is I'll, I'll go and eat, uh, eat one of those egg sandwiches. I love eat the egg sandwich. Okay. You feel better for a little bit, but 
uh, inevitably the things that you're not addressing start to pop up in the chatter of your mind again. And you start to deal with that for a while. It siphons your energy. Your brain goes, you know, the egg sandwich is really good. Let's, uh, let's go get another one. So you grab another <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that of course doesn't take very long until you've, you've essentially escalated to the point that you are using food. So that's binge eating disorder. You're using food to, um, to stay your emotions, to stay the blade of the, of the intensity of, of negative emotions. Where really, if you just sat for five minutes, allowed those emotions to settle, you'll go into what's called habituation and you'll get used to those emotions. They won't feel as quite as sharp. Actually, you can see kind of on a graph, it spikes up and it slowly drops off and it can spike again, but it won't spike quite as high or, or mm-hmm. any higher necessarily. Um, so yes, I do think that it's, it's definitely context driven and that if you're not addressing those things in your life, uh, it gets harder to give things up. Now, if you have a lot going on in your life, a lot going on, like, you know, quite often we look at lower uh, socioeconomic or, or marginalized communities that have a lot of stressors and there, and there tends to be a correlation, I think, uh, or from what I've read that there are, there's a lot of substance use. There's a lot of, uh, you know, in, in low income communities, you find a lot more group membership, kind of like gang membership. Mm, yeah. Because gang membership gives you a sense of community, uh, drug use, allows you to tamp down those negative emotions. That sense of community makes you, helps you to bring those negative emotions down as well. So we can explain those phenomenon, but getting you to a place where you feel satiated and whole, now that's on you and that's really hard to fix. That really is, yeah. Uh, I, I want to point out, uh, I'm pretty sure you, you probably interfaced with this one, just mm-hmm. talking about how your environmental uh, brings, you know, your environmental atmosphere can possibly influence your coping mechanisms. And uh, I hear this a lot. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. When I go on vacation, the vacation is like exactly everything I ever wanted it to be. It's, it's a beautiful environment. I feel a part of this community. Mm-hmm. I realize that I don't do anything. I don't do any drugs. I don't, I don't do any of my other, my typical habits. Yeah. And then I question myself, were they habits? And I just want the listener to, to realize like, hey, you know, when you go on these vacations, and then you come back and you were like, oh, I was so good. I was so good. And mm-hmm. then it's like, it's okay if I have this one cigarette. Um, well, you just went back to the environment where you usually smoke cigarettes. So of course you're just going to smoke cigarettes in this environment because it's the environment that's influencing you to continue uh, habitualizing this coping mechanism. Exactly. And the environment can be enabling as well. Um, you know, if you've got someone in your life that like, you know, I've known, I've known couples that like one of the, one of the people in the, in the relationship that I want to get in shape, the other person says, I'll support you. And then the other person gives up on it because they never really wanted to get in shape in the first place. And so you give up on it, but you know, the way that you give up on it, it's actually quite insidious. They go and get the bad thing that they, they shouldn't have. Let's say, let's say the unhelpful food rather yeah. that they shouldn't have. And it's not beneficial to your diet and to your goals. And so you say, okay, they feel good. I want to feel good too. Maybe I'll have some of that. And then you give up. Or maybe the, even the sneaky thing is sometimes you get relationships where somebody is running off and actually manipulating you with that treat. I heard uh, from a friend about a couple um, that he knows where uh, one girl in the relationship ha- has gained uh, quite a bit of weight. She, she tends to, every time he sees her, she's eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and by quite a, uh, quite a bit of weight, he thinks it's over a hundred pounds. And, I, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's wild. What he noticed was her partner will, whenever she says, I 
need X, Y, and Z. I need food. I need a burger. I need this. He goes and just like hops on his foot and goes and gets it. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I'm like, well, you're both fulfilling a need there. He gets to keep you around, which fulfills his need to have a partner. And you get all your needs met as far as satiation goes because he's going off and getting the resource that makes you feel that dopaminergic kick. That's a toxic relationship. That's not a good cycle. Yeah. Um, and, and tons of us are in those relations, you know, those experiences, you know, it doesn't have to be weight. It doesn't have to be drugs. Um, maybe you come from a family that at night I did where at night we would, we would gather around the TV and we'd watch together. And I learned at a young age that something that was self-soothing for me was watching TV. So whenever I'm stressed, I watch a show. I try and escape into fiction, into a reality that's not the reality that I experienced. And I try and, you know, when you, when you engage in fiction, you attune to the main character. And so I'm, I'm living out a totally different life and I'm not me, but when I pop out of it, I'm me again. So what do I do? I got to watch another show. Yeah. You got to do it and do it and do it until you fall asleep. Because if you don't do it and do it until, do it until you fall asleep, you won't be in bliss. You need to yeah. stay, the, you know? So it's, 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 that's the bitch of it is, is, you know, my parents were trying to give me TV to uh, make it, my satiation mechanism, what they were trying to do is, you know, have family time, mm-hmm. you know, and which, which we may have been bet, you know, more benefited, uh, benefited in a better way. If perhaps we had spent more time talking or playing games or, you know, changing it up every night, as opposed to, like I said, on that list, don't do two things twice. Yeah. Right? So don't do something twice. Um, so watching TV could have been a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but playing games could have been a Tuesday, Thursday, and you buffer that out. You're less likely to turn any of those into uh, habitual manners by which you try and dissolve your emotions as opposed to what I, what I like to refer to as emotional digestion, which is seeing yeah. your emotion and sifting through it and letting, letting your, uh, your, your psychic digestive system deal with the chemicals as they are. For sure. Yeah. I- that is that is amazing that yeah emotional digestion like that's kick ass that's mm-hmm. exactly what a lot of us need in, in our lives that's what yeah. i've been embracing more in my life if you don't digest you get heartburn yeah exactly it's, it's, it's the same thing with the with your emotions if you don't digest your emotions you're gonna get psychic heartburn and yeah. it's, it's gonna be you know it's it's gonna be pretty nasty yeah it's gonna come up uh, on someone else and, and you don't want that <laughs> you don't want that so the devil, you know, I keep coming back to that title because like we all have the devil we know and it's our blind spot. Um, it's also, well, it provides us with a lot of blind spots. It's what we're, we're pretty distinctly aware of it a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, cause the devil, you know, does not implied. This is something you, you necessarily deem as positive, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily always a functional delusion. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's not good for you and it doesn't serve you, but at the same time you still, um, you still keep it around. And sure. that's, that's the real sticky point is if, if you know, something's not serving you, you've, you owe it to yourself and not just you, this is where part personal responsibility comes back into it. You owe it to the people you're networked with your family, your friends, your future self is in your network. Your yep. future spouse is in your network. Your future kids are in your network. You will impact them across temporal uh, experience. So what you have to realize is that every improvement you make upon yourself improves other people's lives and their improvements in their lives improves your life. This is for, this is not just for you. It's bigger than you, but it does pay dividends. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. I feel like, uh, we, we, we spoke, uh, relatively enough on on this one topic, the devil, you know, cause it's, 
it's such an ambiguous uh, little topic. We, you know, yeah, we, we did point. keep it kind of wide there. Yeah. We yeah, we can go. It's like we have a flashline. We're just shining a light on, you know, the devil can look like this. The devil can look like this. The devil can look like that. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, just to, to round this out uh, f- for me, uh, one, apologize for all the beeps earlier in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Two, um, just be, uh, if you see, if you start recognizing uh, a pattern that is negative that you, that you don't want to have in your life, then do the good work and, you know, emotionally digest, um, utilize uh, some new imprints, some new habits, um, such as uh, maybe not going to the, the, the thing that your brain is telling you to go do right then and there to get this, uh, this uh, you know, dopamine rush. Um, and do it for the future version of yourself. And like, you know, guy number one said, do it for the network at large that is around you. Because if you do it for not only yourself, but for the network, your environment is going to change drastically. And that devil will soon just melt away into the background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, classically, that's why uh, families, I think, were so close. Is that you networked with your family, you supported each other, and you made sure that each person was... Uh, bringing what they needed to to the table to benefit each other and at the same time supporting one another in, in furthering the goal, uh, your individual goal, which, uh, which builds into the collective. We're very individualistic now and we've, we've, uh, we're paying the cost for that. We're paying the price. Um, people are feeling very alone right now. Mm-hmm. Coronavirus, Corona land has left people feeling very isolated and alone. Some places it's easing up, but if you're living in one of those places where it's not, uh, you run the risk of of doing some non-beneficial and potentially harmful uh, behaviors uh, unconsciously, maybe. And when you do that, as, as they build up and compound in your life, they will compound in other people's lives. You may just not see the easy one-to-one, um, but it's there. It is there. Definitely is. Well, um, thank you for everyone for listening. I deeply appreciate it. Uh, if you, uh, liked what you heard today, send us an email at info at just two guys.co and it's the mm-hmm. number two and share our podcast. Yeah. Share our podcast, share it with your friends and, uh, yeah, just, you know, one, give us some love. That'd be dope, but, uh, definitely share the podcast. So, uh, appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, this has just been two guys talking. Uh, we'll, we'll see you later. See you later guys. Thanks. Alrighty, y'all, that concludes episode five of Just Two Guys Talking, with the topic being the devil we know, the devil you know. And we deeply appreciate all of our listeners. And we want to encourage you to send us an email with topics that interest you, or for us to touch on one of the topics that we've already spoken about, so we can go and take a deeper dive. Send an email to info at just two, the number two, guys.co. That would be spectacular. And give us a share. Maybe share us on Facebook, Instagram. We're on Spotify, so it's pretty easy to share away. Anyways, till next time, see you later.